welcome to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Many of you will remember June 2008 when all of us went to Quebec City for the Eucharistic Congress. It was a blessed week that brought many fruits to the church in Quebec and also the church worldwide. This year, for the last week, tens of thousands of Catholics have been gathering in Dublin, Ireland for the 50th International Eucharistic Congress. It is a celebration of faith that seeks to promote the central place of the Eucharist in the life and mission of the Church. The Congress also seeks to help us improve our understanding and celebration of liturgy and draw attention to the social dimension of the Eucharist. The Eucharistic Congress normally takes place every four years. The program of the Congress generally includes daily Mass, but also other liturgical events, cultural events, catechesis, and testimonies, and several workshops during the week. The theme of this year's Congress is the Eucharist, communion with Christ and with one another. So today we'll be hearing updates and excerpts of talks around various topics related to the theme. Sultan Light's Krista Matrenko, Sebastian Gomes, and Father Thomas Rosica have been in Ireland this whole week and bring us several highlights. But first, let's begin as we always do with a song. So here is the Eucharistic Congress's theme song, Though We Are Many. Who is shared Eucharist? 
That was the theme song for the 50th International Eucharistic Congress, Though We Are Many. The song was written by well-known Irish liturgical composer Bernard Sexton. You're listening to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour with highlights from the 50th International Eucharistic Congress in Dublin, Ireland. Now, many people have never heard of a Eucharistic Congress. Earlier in the week, our very own Father Tom Rosica sat down with Emer McCarthy of Vatican Radio and told her that the Congress is a great opportunity for the Church to deliver a message of hope. You know, the difference between the Church making its voice heard and public institutions or agencies or other things in the world making their voice heard, um, in the world it depends on how loud you are, how boisterous you can be, how critical or how uh, devastating you can be towards other people. Whereas in the Church, the goal of getting our voice heard is through consistency of the message, perseverance, and also offering a message of hope. Much of the messaging we hear from political institutions really presents a false hope. You know, do this today and you'll be successful tomorrow. Whereas the Church is offering another type of hope. So consistency, perseverance, and also content. You know, we're not into sound bites. You cannot sound bite the church. As important as Twitter might be in 140 letters, the church's message and beauty cannot be reduced to simple sound bites or quick fixes or uh, a big splash. So the media may certainly be critical about the Eucharistic Congress as the media is critical about World Youth Days and any ecclesial event. But let's be careful when we say media because there are some people working in the media who have brains and intelligence and recognize the deeper things that are happening, while others focus in on the big splash, the numbers, the effect, and they almost have to take a counterpoint to everything that's happening. It's important to remember that those counterpoints only last for two or three days, and the beauty endures and rises to the top. So I'm sure that, you know, during this week, you'll have some positive stories in Ireland or coming out of Ireland, You'll have all kinds of negative things and people unearthing all kinds of nonsense. That'll pass, and the deep things will last, because the people that are coming here will be changed, and they become multipliers of taking this beauty back to their local churches. Archbishop Martin said this Congress is not a popularity contest. It's not about the numbers. It's about how people participate. They're gathering to pray. Over a thousand have come from Canada and North America, but there are also smaller groups of pilgrims from all over the world. Um, I think it was Cardinal Ouellette who hosted the last uh, Congress, who described the Congress in Quebec as a turning point for the Church in Quebec. Was it really that way? I worked with Cardinal Ouellette for four years, five years, in preparing for the Eucharistic Congress in 2008. It followed, as you know, the, the World Youth Day in 2002, which we're celebrating its 10th anniversary. Um, the World Youth Day in Canada was a turning point as well. The backdrop of the World Youth Day for Canada was, of course, the massive sex abuse in North America, all kinds of political crises, September the 11th, and that becomes the stage against which an ecclesial event unfolds and explodes under the scene. The Eucharistic Congress in Quebec was more than a turning point. Cardinal Ouellette then and, and now continues to say it was a, a resurrection of sorts, that a church that was believed to be dormant, a church that was not producing fruit suddenly came alive. I will never forget the Eucharistic Congress in Quebec because it was almost um, a public proclamation that we are here, we are alive, and there is still life here, a pulsating under the surface. 
the Eucharistic Congress will do the same here. The huge challenges in Ireland, economic and political challenges, uh, the sex abuse crisis that Ireland has gone through, the lack of credibility and trust in its church leaders. This event takes place to let the world and the church know in Ireland that we're here, we're alive, and there is tremendous hope under the surface. You're going to be giving a keynote speech. You were invited to give um, one of the keynote speeches, one of the interventions during the week of catechesis and workshops. And you're going to be giving it on Thursday, I believe, looking at the joy of priesthood. That's a challenge when we see a decline in vocation. So what will you be talking about and how will you communicate this message to the people who will come to listen to you? When they invited me to do this a year ago, I remember smiling and saying, uh, shouldn't it be the crisis of the priesthood or the lack of vocations or the mess in your country? I'm very glad they asked me to speak about the joy because I'm not talking about superficial joy, but I'm going to go to the heart of the priesthood, the gift of the priesthood to the church, and look at those central pillars, if you will, the elements of the priesthood, which are cause for deep joy. I'm going to speak particularly about the priest as modeling his life on Jesus who washes feet, Jesus who does not put himself on a pedestal or demand some kind of um, false honors, but Jesus who gets up from the table and washes the feet of his friends. I'm going to speak about the deep joy of the priesthood, unlike the superficial joy and laughter and giddiness of the world, but the joy that really makes the world go around. I'm going to talk about the priest as an, a friend of the saints and a model of holiness. The priest is an agent of the new evangelization. And it's, it comes with a year of reflection in preparing that. I shared the ideas with my staff just before leaving in Toronto, and uh, they're all young adults, and they said, no, that's exactly what the priesthood is. So th that's what I'm going to try to do is say that despite everything that's happened uh, and because of everything that's happened, the world and the church need priests. The opposite of a priest is a consumer, somebody who amasses, spends, and everything else and is, thinks about himself. A priest is somebody who spends himself for others. And in a world that's highly consumer, uh, we need the example of the priest right now, not only for the church but for the world. That was Father Thomas Rosica speaking with Emer McCarthy of Vatican Radio. Here now is Salt and Light's Alicia Ambrosio from Salt and Light's coverage of the Congress. The Eucharistic Congress is underway in Dublin. Each day begins with small group sessions on specific topics, followed by catechesis and witness talks on the main stage. Brother Aloise Lozier of the Taizé community spoke about how baptism unites all Christians to the body of Christ. Christ makes all the baptized ambassadors of reconciliation in the world. We are the body of Christ, not in order to feel good together and to withdraw into ourselves, but to reach out to others. The human body has the calling of expressing the person on the outside. Likewise, the body of Christ has the calling to express that Christ wants to reconcile all humanity. We cannot receive unity with God without receiving unity among all human beings. That was Brother Alois from the Taizé community. One of the events earlier in the week was an ecumenical service. Here again is Alicia with more details. The Anglican Archbishop of Dublin, Michael Jackson, presided along with Reverend Ken Lindsay of the Methodist Church and Bishop Brian Farrell, who serves as Secretary of the Pontifical Council for Christian Unity. 
Russian Orthodox Metropolitan Hilarion Volokolams gave the homily during the ecumenical service. Metropolitan Hilarion is the head of the Department for External Church Relations for the Moscow Patriarchate. He pointed out that even though receiving communion is an individual act, it is also an act of community, pointing out that churches prohibit the celebration of Eucharist when there are no faithful present. He also spoke about Europe and the loss of its Christian roots. Baptism and the Eucharist in their interrelation make it possible for us to come to a deeper understanding of the conciliarity of the Church and to feel the authentic meaning of the social community based not on partiality, but on charitable, charitable service for our neighbors who find themselves in need. In the Eucharist, Christians find the identity of the people of God reconciled with the God of humanity. In this we find a source of tremendous power capable of opposing the degradation of the individual and society brought about to this, by this world. During the ecumenical celebration, water was blessed and 12 concelebrants representing different denominations sprinkled the congregations with holy water. You're listening to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour with highlights from Dublin's International Eucharistic Congress. The Olympic torch for the Congress in 2008 in Quebec was a replica of the Ark of the Covenant. The symbol for Dublin is a bell. The pilgrim bell visited every diocese in Ireland carried by the, the faithful. Eucharistic Congress. It took center stage during the opening ceremony. A healing stone was also unveiled during the opening ceremony to recognize the victims of clerical sexual abuse. Lord, we are so sorry for what some of us did to your children, treated them so cruelly, especially in their hour of need. We have left them with a lifelong suffering. This was not your plan for them or us. Please help us to help them. Guide us, Lord. Amen. Cardinal Marco Allais celebrated the opening Mass for the Congress. He is the Pope's representative in Ireland for the Congress. In his homily, he mentioned the suffering the Church has faced in Ireland. He told pilgrims they were gathered because the Lord himself calls the faithful together to celebrate. Cardinal Ouellette also spoke about spiritual communion during his homily. How fitting is it is that in God's providence, this gathering takes place here in Ireland. This is a country known for its natural beauty, its hospitality, and its rich culture, but most especially for its long tradition of fidelity to the Catholic faith. Ireland's strong history of faithfulness has enriched not only these shores, but has, through her missionary sons and daughters, helped to bring the gospel to many other far distant shores. That was Cardinal Mark Ouellette during the opening Mass 
Cardinal Ouellette is the Holy Father's representative for the Congress in Ireland. He was also Archbishop of Quebec City during the Congress in 2008. There are some 1,200 Canadian pilgrims attending the Eucharistic Congress, the biggest national group registered, and so there have been several masses for Canadians. Here again is Alicia Ambrosio. Archbishop Terence Prendergast of Ottawa celebrated a mass in the extraordinary form at St. Kevin's Church in downtown Dublin. During his homily, he spoke about the different liturgical rites that exist in the church and how they are distinct but complementary. At the same time, Archbishop Albert Legat of St. Boniface presided over another Mass for English speakers. Archbishop Legat drew on the works of St. John Chrysostom, saying that God wants to draw love out of all things. Also come celebrating that Mass, Cardinal Thomas Collins of Toronto, Cardinal Laurent Monsengo of the Congo, and Cardinal Peter Turkson of Ghana. Our Sebastian Gomes and Chris Dimitrenko are on the ground in Dublin and they caught up with some of the Canadian pilgrims taking part in today's events. I'm here with two of the Canadian bishops who are here at the International Eucharistic Congress, Bishop John Boissonneau from Toronto, Auxiliary Bishop, and Archbishop Michael Miller from Vancouver. Now the theme is communion, and we just celebrated communion with, with all the pilgrims of Canada, and uh, really an impressive group of people. And, and I understand that you have a very large delegation coming from Vancouver, Archbishop. We do, Chris. I think that there are about 200 from Vancouver, from various parishes and eight or nine Vancouver priests who are here to join with others from around the world, including from Toronto. Toronto. From Toronto. Now, what do you hope that the pilgrims coming from your diocese experience? What do you hope that they're able to, to bring back and share with uh, their fellow parishioners? Well, one thing I think is the continuity. Most of them were at, in Quebec City, and I think that's why the Canadian delegation is so large, because they have experienced already what the Eucharistic Congress can do. So we're hoping that and yet another experience of faith in the Lord, in the Eucharist, uh, as we continue to renew our liturgies with the new Roman Missals. One thing that there could be a practical result of this. Now, every day there are catechesis talks, there's you know, wonderful homilies, there's workshops, uh, and including a, a catechesis by, oh no, you're the, the homilist later no, this no, week. I, no, I'm, I am the catechist on, on Wednesday on the priesthood and the Eucharist. So all the stars of the church are coming out. Now tell me, can you tell me a particular speaker that you're looking forward to hearing from this week? Michael Miller. Yes, of course he had to, had to say that. <laughs> I, I'm looking forward to, he, to hearing the, uh, the new prior of, of Tese, of the monastery at Tese, and I believe with Maria Voce, who is head of the, the Focolarini from around the world. Uh, anyone else other than Archbishop Michael Miller? I'm just looking at one day at a time, because there's just so many varieties, and sometimes the smaller workshop might have more interest in the larger arena. So I'm looking at one day at a time. And unfortunately, because there's different workshops going on at the same time, you don't even get to experience all of it. But uh, I guess you take, as much as, take in as much as you can. Well, thanks very much for joining us, and we'll see you throughout the week. You sure will. Thank you very much, Chris. Thank you, Chris. That was Chris Dimitrenko speaking with Vancouver's Archbishop Michael Miller and Bishop John Boissonneau, Auxiliary Bishop of Toronto. Here now is Sebastian Gomes, who spoke to a group from Toronto. We've run into a delegation from the Toronto Diocese. This is Femi and his wife Rose from Mississauga. What parish are you from, Femi? St. John of the Cross on Glenary, Mississauga. 
And what brought you to Dublin for the Congress? Well, we came to look at the Eucharistic Congress to have a spirit-filled environment for eight days. We were in uh, Quebec four years ago, and it was a nice experience. So the charging for the last four years should have gone down, so we came here to renew the Eucharistic feeling again for the next four years. <laughs> Great. Is there something particular that you're looking forward to at the Congress this week? Well, the Congress is like a spiritual Olympics for Catholics. <laughs> where you come all over the world, everybody brings their own idea, and you experience the spirit fee. Eucharistic is the key point of Catholicism in celebration of Mass. So seeing people from all over the world every four years, like an Olympic, is a nice thing for every Catholic to be there. So I'm happy I'm able to make it. Right. Oh, great. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you so much, Richard. Thank you. Hey, we got some lively music going on in the background. I caught up with some more Torontonians. Uh, they're from downtown. What parish are you from? I'm from uh, Our Lady of Lords on Shebon, in downtown Toronto. A couple blocks from my house. This is a great connection. What brought you to the Congress? Well, um, this is our third time of attending the Congress. We attended the first one in Poland, 1997. Then we attended the one in Quebec in 2008. And this is the third one. The last two ones that we attended, we had very, very great experiences, you know, having a reunion of the people, celebrating Mass and, uh, you know, witnessing to a lot of good, good things. And it had very, very tremendous spiritual, uh, you know, impact on us. And we felt that as long as we live, we will continue to attend the Eucharistic Congress, subject to the Congress. That's why we are happy to be here. The theme of this year's Congress is very great and it's very, very relevant to what we believe in. And that's why we are, we are here and we are looking forward to a very great experience. This uh, eight days of uh, 50th Eucharistic Congress. Right. What are you? We'll just wait for that applause to go down a little bit. What do you? When you look out across all this stadium, you see all these people that came for the same for the same experience. What? How does that make you feel? Make me feel good. Make me feel great that the church is one all over the world. As you can see, there are people from 120 countries. People with different languages, different color, different background, and we are all joined as one to celebrate and to share experiences and to grow our faith. You know, to grow our Catholic faith. It's really, really very, very interesting and very, 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 you know, uh, 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 good. That was Sebastian Gomes speaking to a group of Canadian pilgrims from Toronto. Now. Ireland has a long and rich Catholic history, and we couldn't go to Ireland without experiencing some of that history. Krista Matrenko had a chance to visit the famous ruins at Jerpoint Abbey. The Irish church is experiencing a painful trial as it seeks to rebuild trust after the abuse crisis. But it has survived adversity before and been reborn anew. The ruins at Jerpoint Abbey recall perhaps its greatest crisis. Well, Jerpoint Abbey was uh, one of a number of different abbeys and uh, kind of groups that would have come to Europe when the Normans very much came over, basically in the 1100s. So uh, it was like the, the new way of, um, of teaching religion, and that's how these abbeys uh, were formed. Yeah, unfortunately, um, in the 1500s with King Henry VIII and the Reformation, um, a lot of these old monasteries uh, basically were, were given a choice, I suppose. You could be destroyed or change religion. 
and uh, unfortunately Jerpoint Abbey fell to the the, um, the first choice which uh, they, it was destroyed, the windows would have been knocked out, the roof taken down or burnt out and things like that so basically it was uninhabitable again. In essence, uh, in adversity, sometimes you do have an underground swell of, uh, of belief. It was very difficult to change their ways. So there was penal laws introduced in Ireland to suppress the Catholic religion, but that only made it stronger. And in the 1800s, when Catholic emancipation came about, um, they were allowed to build the churches again and things like that. So a lot of the Catholic churches would be a bit more modern than the Anglican ones. Have you ever wondered what it was like to live in the times of the Apostles? Well, this year's Congress offers a walkthrough exhibition called Through the Eyes of the Apostles, Capernaum at the Time of Jesus. Sultanlight Sebastian Gomes brings us more. We're standing here at an exhibit at the International Eucharistic Co Congress called Through the Eyes of the Apostles, Life Overwhelmed by a Presence. And I'm here with Maria Martin who is on the organization committee for this particular exhibit. Thank you for joining us, Maria. Tell, tell me a little bit about how this exhibit came about. Well, we were all in, at the meeting for friendship among peoples in Rimini last August, and we saw this beautiful exhibit, and uh, we thought it would be beautiful to bring it for the occasion of the Eucharistic Congress. We were very much encouraged by one Irish journalist, John Waters, and um, we thought it would be too much in the beginning, so it's a very complex exhibition, quite expensive to put together, but we got some donations and gradually the miracle of the exhibition has come together now. There's been a lot of expectation to see this particular exhibit, I know, among the pilgrims. Is there one particular part of it that's very, very moving or touching to you? Well, when you have the part which tells the story of St. Peter's house, when you come in, they highlight the threshold. So the threshold of the house that they discovered in Capernaum was never altered in all the reconstructions because that was the place where Jesus stood and cured the sick who were gathered around the house who couldn't come inside. Uh, it was the place where he preached to the people gathered outside. So I really like that. There you go. A little taste of the Holy Land brought to the Eucharistic Congress. Thank you, Maria, for joining us. The Congress also features an exhibition hall where vendors from around the world showcase their wares. Our Father Thomas Rizika takes a walkabout and brings us this feature. People are writing and asking us, so what do you do in between the moments of catechesis and the moments in the stadium and all of those formal liturgies? We go shopping. But we don't go to ordinary shopping malls. We come to a fairgrounds, a Catholic exposition center, like the one we're in right now, where there are hundreds of people selling about everything you could imagine in the name of religion. Some things are good. Some things won questions. Some things are excellent. These are must-haves. And I'm standing here now in the booth of the Catholic Truth Society. For those who live on this side of the pond, it's called CTS, and everybody knows what CTS is. It's the official publishers of the Holy See in Great Britain. It's been around since 1868. Now, Richard Brown, who's from the CTS, has not been here since 1868, but he knows the whole story. Richard, how's business? Business is going very well, thank you. We've had a lot of interest from Irish parishes. They're particularly interested in setting up display stands in their parish, as you can see here. Um, 
obviously we're very well known in England. We're known to a certain extent in Ireland. Uh, traditionally there was a Catholic Truth Society in Ireland, but this has, for whatever reason, become less well known. So now we'd like to assist in the new evangelization of Ireland through encouraging people to start selling these in their parish, uh, little expensive, inexpensive booklets. Now, you say Ireland, but could we have these things in Canada too? Absolutely, and we've got uh, a couple of parishes already in uh, Canada going very strongly, particularly our friend Father Paul Dobson, who's a great champion of CTS, and uh, we'll talk about CTS to anyone who will listen. Father Paul Dobson being a priest of the Archdiocese of Toronto, and he's a great marketer for your products. Now, I want to talk about some of the things, because I've known about your works for many, th many years. Yes. Cardinal Newman, his life and legacy. And this was an important booklet produced at the time of his beatification two years ago. Wonderful summary of his life, clearly understood, and it's a great small task to take this home, put it in your pocket, take it home and read about Newman. Another one in preparation for the year of faith called The Gift of Faith, Insights for the Year of Faith. This is a wonderful, t you know, nobody's producing material yet on this, and it's so good to see this, and it's in English too. So I'm going to recommend this when we go home. A simple prayer book, I hear this is one of your best sellers. It is, every year. Um, this typically outsells everything else. Um, typically outsells everything else because um, as well as many common everyday prayers, it also has the order of mass. And obviously we just revised this edition recently to include the new translation of the mass so that anyone can have this in their pocket and they're ready to go with mass for every day of the week. Good luck, good sales this week and we'll have a lot to do with each other in the future. Okay. You're listening to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour with highlights from the 50th Eucharistic Congress in Ireland. I'm Deacon Pedro. We're going to take a little Celtic musical break now. So here is Kaylee Rain with That's All the Lumber You Sent. Remember that man back in that great big house? He found out early what it's all. 
Send me back to Earth again. Is that something you can do? Pizza ain't up to me. If it was, I'd like to see how you plan to improve. Love God, fellow man. Take a wife, make a stand. Be the giver in the sky. I'm Deacon Pedro, and you're listening to a special Eucharistic Congress edition of the Salt and Light Hour. We just heard That's All the Lumber You Sent by Kaylee Rain. You can learn all about Kaylee Rain and Bob Halligan Jr. at kayleerain.com. That's C-E-I-L-I, Kaylee Rain, R-A-I-N.com. One of the highlights of any Eucharistic Congress is all the great catechesis talks and catechists. On Tuesday, the catechesis was led by Archbishop Barry Hickey, Archbishop Emeritus of Perth, Australia. He spoke about the link between God's divine communion with his people and the covenant communion of marriage and family life. In his talk, he referred to two papal documents, Familiaris Consortio and Sacramentum Caritatis, as he explained the role of the Eucharist in supporting and nourishing Christian marriage. In marriage, where there must be love and there must be communion. So, God sanctifies the intimate love and embrace of husband and wife in marriage as they give themselves totally to each other. This is the image of God's love for us, as St. Paul taught. The Holy Father also pointed to the link between the Holy, the Eucharist, and the family. He said the Eucharist not only nourishes family life and marriage and deepens its communion with Christ, it also includes the aspect of sacrifice. It's an essential part of it all. Here on this side of eternity, sacrifice is necessary. The Eucharist, what does the Eucharist celebrate? The Eucharist celebrates the death and the resurrection of Jesus, his passion and his death when he gave his body and he poured out his blood for us. His love for us was sacrificial and it becomes real for us whenever we celebrate the Holy Mass. Jesus is there with the wounds in his hand, with the signs of his passion. And so uh, the Holy Father said marriage is like that. He was deeply conscious of the sacrifice that is necessary in every marriage to hold that marriage together, to express love, to express forgiveness, to um, be witnesses to the children, to know how to raise children. Um, 
how to look after one another in sickness and in health, how to get up three or four or five times a night because the child is sick. All these things are sacrificed, but they are done with love. That too is part of this wonderful vision of Christian marriage. Pope Benedict XVI in Sacramentum Caritatis, a Latin phrase which meant the sacrament of love. He was talking about the Blessed Eucharist mainly, but we can also say it means the sacrament of matrimony is the sacrament of love. That was a portion of Archbishop Barry Hickey's catechesis session at the Eucharistic Congress. Archbishop Hickey is Bishop Emeritus of Perth, Australia. Each catechesis session is followed by a testimony. One of these talks was given by Carl Anderson, Supreme Knight of the Knights of Columbus, who spoke about the vocation to marriage and family and its role in human redemption. Every vocation has a unique role in the new created order of redemption. In marriage and family, the closeness of family members means we are caught up together in a common journey of redemption. We learn our roles from one another because the mere presence of another person proposes a relationship that advances us on our journey. A clear example of this is when parents bring home their newborn child. The child's mere presence awakens a new part of them. Parents care for their child, but the child guides his or her parents to draw deeper from the well of humanity. Parents draw closer to the child and to one another. The child teaches the parents the extraordinary meaning of the gift of self in the transmission and sustaining of human life. And the child leads the parents to realize something more. That reality expressed so beautifully since the time of St. Augustine. The measure of love is to love without measure. The child teaches the parents that to live in the authentic mystery of life, one has to draw our life more and more from God himself. Only God's love, God's perseverance, God's compassion, God's truth, God's gift of himself to us is what alone can satisfy us. That was Carl Anderson, Supreme Knight of the Knights of Columbus, who spoke on the importance of marriage and family. Another testimony was offered by Miss Breda O'Brien, a teacher and columnist for the Irish Times, who spoke about the importance of the family meal. In our family, the kitchen table is very important. The moment when each child left the high chair and joined the rest of us was a great moment. It's there that we learn to listen, to forgive and be forgiven. It's there that we are nourished, body and soul. It's there that we learn to be thankful and to give thanks in prayer for all that we have. In that way, it's the place where we first learn the meaning of Eucharist, of Christ present in our midst. If we want to relearn the value of the Eucharist, Perhaps we also need to relearn the value of the kitchen table and the family meal. That was teacher and columnist for the Irish Times, Ms. Breda O'Brien. Salt and Light's Krista Matrenko caught up with Ms. O'Brien after her testimony. 
and I'm joined now by Brita O'Brien. We heard your testimony earlier, and uh, you spoke about the messiness of family life. Do you think there's a lot of pressure on parents, particularly Catholic parents, to want to have a holy, happy family? I think there is, and I think parents put a lot of that pressure on themselves. They almost feel like they have to be perfect in every way in order to give good example. But one of the things I was trying to say in my talk is that a good family is not where bad things never happen. Okay. A good family is where bad things, when bad things happen, they're handled well. And for me, that's they're handled well if you rely on the grace of God. And uh, now you also said that the problem in society um, isn't that uh, we've lost our ideals of the family, people often say this, but in some ways that we've become too idealistic. What did you mean by that? Well, what I meant by that is there's a kind of mythology out there of the one, the perfect soulmate that's going to be your, your perfect fulfillment and you've got to keep on searching until you find that person. And I actually think that's a dangerous kind of naivety because if you did find the perfect person, what would they do with you? Yeah, okay, <laughs> um, <yes. laughs> so my emphasis in, in the talk is on every person, every spouse, every husband, every wife working on overcoming their own selfishness and then you get a marriage made in heaven. Uh, now, throughout the day, uh, the speakers have been trying to connect uh, communion, the Eucharist, with the family and the sacrament of marriage. Uh, in Irish society, do you see that the Eucharist has always played a very important role? Yes. I mean, we have a long history in Ireland, right back to the Mass Rocks, where people literally risk their lives in order to celebrate the Eucharist. And I think it still plays a huge role. It has a community aspect okay. um, and it has a nourishing aspect. But of course, the Mass attendance is dropping. It's still higher than anywhere in Europe, but it's still very strong. Thank you, Krista Matrenko, for that interview with Breda O'Brien. As I mentioned earlier, every day includes Mass, and one of the presiders was His Eminence, Cardinal André Van Troyes of Paris. Sheridan has some details. His Eminence André Cardinal Van Troyes, Archbishop of Paris, presided over Mass today during his homily, which reflected on the Gospel passage of Matthew, where Jesus asked his disciples to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. He said that Christ asked us to be distinctive and to transform the world with our lives. As Christians, we are trustees of truths that all men and women are called to share and benefit from. Our mission is not to be with other messages competing for the public's attention. It is to bear witness to God's love in the world. We know that the excellency of speech or of wisdom or the strength of our beliefs is not enough to make our good deeds shine. If they do shine, it is because the power of God's Spirit manifests itself through them. Then, if God's love is at work in our, li in our lives, however modestly and discreetly, the life of the Spirit will reveal itself and we will be listened to. You're listening to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour with highlights from the Eucharistic Congress in Dublin, Ireland. I'm Deacon Pedro. Salt and Light's Father Thomas Rosica also had the chance to speak with the Archbishop of Armagh, Cardinal Sean Brady. 
We're gathered here this morning in the Royal Dublin Society Fairgrounds in downtown Dublin, and I'm very happy to have with me a great friend and colleague, Cardinal Sean Brady, the Primate of all of Ireland, the Archbishop of Armagh, the President of the Irish Bishops' Conference, and a great friend of Salt and Light, Your Eminence. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. Thank you, and welcome to you and to all the Canadian pilgrims and to all pilgrims who have come here to Dublin for this International Eucharistic Congress. Your Eminence, what's going through your mind right now as the ceremony starts to unfold before us? Uh, a sense of great joy that it has that is it is happening, that the Eucharistic Congress is about to take place, which I know will bring great graces to so many peoples and so many nations. I'm thinking of all the peoples who will be connected to this ceremony through means of communication, and I wish them many blessings. Uh, but for us here in Ireland, it's a great joy and honor after 80 years to be once again hosting the International Eucharistic Congress. What's the significance of the Congress taking place now in 2012 in Ireland? Well, the original one in 1932 was credited with the great uh, task of healing the divisions after the Civil War of 1922. We here are hoping for a similar work of uh, the Lord coming in to heal our divisions, our hurts, but also to help us to renew faith in the Eucharist, which, as one British politician once said, for Ireland, it is the Mass that matters, Augustine Burrell. That was Father Thomas Rosica speaking with Cardinal Sean Brady of Armagh, Ireland. You may wonder, what are the benefits of a Eucharistic Congress? Father Rosica also spoke with Quebec's new Archbishop, Gerald Lacroix. What did Quebec experience in the aftermath of the Eucharistic Congress? What are, the, you say, the retombées, what are the fruits? You're the one to gather these fruits now. Cardinal Ouellette sowed the seed, he brought the event, the event to Canada. What are you reaping as a harvest? Well, you know, Father Tom, it's been four years now, and we are still reaping fruits from this wonderful Congress, International Congress of 2008. The young people were brought alive by this Congress, 3,000 volunteers uh, in communications. That's where our department really uh, began working, and we're still working. We're here this week with a team from ACDQ-TV, uh, but a renewal in our relationship with the Lord and with the Eucharist, Eucharistic chapels that have sprung up, Eucharistic adoration, a better understanding on how Eucharist uh, nourishes us and helps us to live our Christian life. But I would say also that the, the people of Quebec in a special way have rediscovered how proud we can be of our Christian faith and, and our roots and the presence of the Lord with us today to help us look forward. That was Sultan Light's Father Thomas Rosica speaking with Archbishop of Quebec, Gerald Lacroix. Quebec hosted the last Eucharistic Congress in 2008. Here now is Liam Lawton with his song, Hiding Place. I will search you the silence for your hiding place in the quiet Lord I seek your Seeking in the 
That was Hiding Place by Liam Lawton from his album The Clouds Veil, published by GIA Music. Singing with Liam was Teresa Donahue. You can learn about Liam Lawton at liamlawton.com. Earlier, we heard about Krista Matrenko's visit to Jerpoint Abbey. Here is Sebastian Gomes with a feature on another famous Irish heritage site, the Moon High Cross. By the middle of the 9th century, Viking ships landed on the coasts and on the riverbanks of Ireland. Many of them moved inland, pillaging the towns and the monasteries that they came across. But what they didn't take, and what has endured for over a thousand years, are the Irish High Crosses, a testament to the vibrancy of an early medieval Christian culture. So here we are at Moon High Cross, and Moon High Cross is a great example of uh, the High Crosses of Ireland. It's the second tallest High Cross we have in the country and probably one of the best preserved because over the centuries the cross itself had collapsed into the ground and fallen with the building and it was only discovered about 150 years ago under a lot of rubble. So fortunately it managed, that it meant that the, the cross itself didn't get weathered over the centuries so it's just a, it's a great example of uh, carvings that we have. The cross here itself is um, its almost like a picture book of scenes from and stories from the Bible. So what you have is uh, different stories and uh, scenes like Adam and Eve and the forbidden fruit and um, the flight from Egypt and the twelve apostles and fish and loaves of bread. It was very easy for people to follow, I suppose, and understand the, the story of the Bible because not everybody was literate back then so they couldn't understand or read for themselves. So uh, the crosses generally would have three parts to the cross. So you'd have the base, the centre and the cap, the capstone. Um, the cross here was actually originally, when they only found two parts of it, they had it constructed with the bottom and the top. And it was uh, only in more recent times that they inserted, they found the centrepiece and inserted it in, which makes it over seven metres tall, the second tallest one in Ireland. Also, the pagan people were uh, sun worshippers originally because they were very uh, into their farming and the sun brought about the season, so they believed in the sun god. And it was a very easy transition for them to move over into Christianity when in Ireland we implemented the circle on the cross 
which basically is now what we call the Celtic cross, but it was easy for them to worship the cross because the sun symbol was in the cross as well. And thank you, Sebastian Gomes, for that feature. That was Salt and Light Associate Producer Sebastian Gomes, who's been in Ireland for the 50th Eucharistic Congress. And that brings us to the end of this program. You've been listening to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour featuring highlights from the Eucharistic Congress in Dublin. You can watch all our Salt and Light coverage of the Eucharistic Congress at saltandlighttv.org slash IEC. All the speeches, homilies, catechesis are there, as well as a ton of videos and photos. Remember that you can download this podcast at our website, saltandlighttv.org slash radio. And that's also where you can now listen to uninterrupted Catholic music all day long. Email us your comments to radio at saltandlighttv.org. And remember to also visit us on Facebook. We've been mainly focusing on all things Irish, but we can't forget that an International Eucharistic Congress is international. And so we're going to leave you with one of the highlight performances from the Congress. Here is a Discovery Gospel Choir from Dublin, comprising of 35 singers from around the world, performing at the beginning of the first day of sessions. You can find out more about them at discoverygospelchoir.com. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. Discover beauty in everyone. Yeah, yeah. Discover beauty.